Hi, and welcome to Silver Screen Queens, podcast number two. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. Each week, we watch a movie and sit down here to chat about it. This week, we watched Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. This is a classic which came out in 1959, and um, obviously we have some spoilers, but the movie is 54 years old, so I don't think we're... uh, I don't, I don't think we need to put the spoiler warning on like we did last week for Star Trek. If you haven't seen it yet, that's your own problem. Yeah. Anyway, so on to Some Like It Hot. This is one of mine and I believe Katie's favourite movies. Mm-hmm. So we found out there was a screening on this week and decided to go along. Um, the screening was a benefit um, for Beyond Blue, which is an Australian um, organization that I suppose raises funds to raise awareness of depression and help out people with depression and similar, um, anxiety, sort of those sorts of issues, mental health issues. Um, and the screening we saw was held at CIT by, I believe, the event, um, yeah, C- CIT, sorry for those who, who don't know, is like, uh, Canberra Institute of Technology. Yeah, it's, it's a local, like, trade school kind of. Mm. And uh, the, the, it seemed, I think it was held by the um, people who were training to be event coordinators. Um, it was an interestingly coordinated event, uh, which opened with a long speech about how depressed Marilyn Monroe was filming this great comedy. Yeah, and how you can see some of the mistakes that she, that well, mistakes, things like she had to have her lines on a cue card and Stuff like that. And apparently you can see that. But the uh, the speaker also, she hadn't actually seen the movie, but she decided they called her in and asked her to speak about how Marilyn was depressed. And uh, that, was, that was a great way to intro a romantic comedy. I just thought it was the strangest thing. And then when we finally started the movie, the DVD kept freezing. So we ended up actually completely rewatching the movie on our own on the weekend. Yeah. So we, we gave Beyond Blue $10 each and that's great. It's a good cause and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, you might want to look into exactly what they're doing for their fundraising events in the future. And um, perhaps learn a little bit more about the coordination side of events. <laughs> okay, so on to the actual movie. Um, as we mentioned before, this is one of our favourite movies. It is a classic comedy, one of the greatest comedies ever made by one of the great directors, Billy Wilder. Uh, he was a uh, German director, I think, who um, who... Yeah, he's one emigrated, of, right? That's true. He's one of that uh, generation of directors who was German and Jewish and escaped to America during the Second World War in order to be incredibly creative and am- amazing. And uh, he he directed this, which is honestly, when you start watching the movie, you don't know whether you're in the right one. It starts <laughs> off That's so true. in this really sort of odd way it doesn't introduce any of the main characters for at least five minutes into the movie yeah it starts out as basically a mob movie yeah you think you're watching um like uh what's that one scarface you think you're watching scarface or something or maybe not scarface but like a 1920s mob movie now it's filmed in 1959 but it's actually shot in black and white and set in 1929 now the reason they shot in black and white is because the main theme of the film which is cross-dressing uh the two male actors who dress up as women, which is the central thesis of the movie, uh, they look a lot better in black and white. You can't see the makeup lines. <laughs> yeah, it it helps with the entire uh, the oh, what's the word I was looking for there? Mise en scène. 
Mm, uh, it, it helps you uh, lose yourself yeah. in the movie oh, right. and not become removed from the action right. by how completely unbelievable the makeup is. Unlike some recent sci-fi movies, I'm looking at you, Cloud Atlas. <laughs> yeah, so we start off in this 1920s mob drama and you're thinking, okay, what am I? I'm in the middle of a Prohibition era Chicago and I don't really get what's going on. And you get introduced to the most fantastic smack-talking um, detective who is just hilarious. His lines are so dry and so sarcastic. And fortunately, you get a little bit more of him in the movie than just the opening scenes because he's just he's one of my favourite characters in the movie. Well, that's really sweet. I never even think about him. <laughs> Mr. Oh, I'm on the wagon. Yeah, he's, he's just so dry and so funny. I just yeah. really think he's great. Uh, and then we get introduced to our um, heroes. main our heroes, um, Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis, as Joe and Jerry, who are a bass player and a saxophonist. I got those around the wrong way. Joe's a saxophonist. Jerry's a bass player yeah, like in double a band. bass, not like rock. A double bass player <laughs> in a jazz band. And uh, the the setting is a prohibition era party um, mob party that. Uh, speakeasy. speakeasy. A speakeasy, that's yeah. right. Where they're serving alcohol disguised as coffee. Mm-hmm. Irish coffee. Yeah. In a in a building disguised as a funeral home. So you have to to get in, you have to give the password as you go to grandma's funeral and you're a pallbearer. Um and so this is the setup for basically the uh the rest of the movie is an escape from this mob that they have come across and the next day managed to witness a mass murder. Yeah, the idea is that they witnessed the St. Valentine's Day massacre, which fits with the dates Uh, by accident because that's the kind of guys they are. I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh, I'm so sorry. Anyway, so our two heroes are kind of down on their luck. They've got no money left and they're pretty much uh, done with their line line of credit with their landlord. They've hocked their overcoats. And they're they're pretty desperate. They they witness this murder and they go on the run. Now, of course, when they go on the land, there's not a lot of options for them, having no money. And they decide to take a job that they've heard about from one of their agents as a couple of girl musicians. And now we get into the fun bit. The fun bit by the way, includes one of the greatest introductions of all time, which is Marilyn Monroe coming stumbling through a train station. Um, everything, every movement that she makes is like so perfect for this role and to just to explain who Marilyn Monroe was and what her appeal is. She is like dynamite when you actually watch her because there are She's- all these mistakes, like we mentioned before. She does make a lot of mistakes. There's Scenes where um, the lip syncing doesn't quite match up when she's singing. There's scenes where she's looks a bit out of it and she's had to have her lines written up and she's reading them. But her delivery is always absolutely on target. She's hilarious and she's so likable. So Yeah, absolutely. And she really gives an amazing performance. I mean, there's all these stories about what she was doing and Tony Curtis who famously described her as kissing her as being like kissing Hitler on this film – you don't see any of that. None of that comes across. Obviously, Lemon and Curtis are great actors. We know that. They, they're they not known for you know, anything else. But Marilyn, of course, had this reputation and well-deserved on this film for being so difficult. But, she, yeah, she's she's amazing and gorgeous. And she gets introduced in one of the great shots of modern, what, modern cinema. Cinema. <laughs> as described by Jerry as like Jello on Springs. Yeah, we we – so we should probably point out that she's introduced from behind, as as we are. 
She comes towards them. She comes towards them. She's introduced from the front. Right. And then they watch her from and behind. And then we watch her leave. Yeah. Mm. And it's particular. It's um. It's um. Jack Lemon is now walking up along this train station, stumbling and falling, and hilarious, but you know, very uncomfortable in the heels. And here she is, just swanning through the station. It's amazing. And then Tony Curtis, who uh, reportedly was really uncomfortable in the drag, but this gave him this really sort of uptight demeanor that works perfectly. There are very few movies, like drag movies, in which the, one of the male leads is so completely flawless as a woman. He looked gorgeous as a woman, and he's the one who spends less time as a woman. Of course, once once Jack Lemmon gets into drag, I think he only has one one very small scene where he's out of drag, and even then he's wearing heels. So he he they both look great as women. They re- it's the black and white shooting and everything else has worked to make them look quite convincing really as women. They don't mm. they don't look bad like we we can vaguely believe it even though we know that they're not. And particularly Tony Curtis. I mean, he's a pretty good-looking guy to start with, so I guess didn't take much. But yeah, he does. He's this great sort of prim and proper. And the voice that he puts lady. on as a woman is so—it's it, perfect contrast between the voice that that Tony Curtis puts on, which is mm. this that very sort of. We um, went to the conservatory. Yeah, and, and Jack Lemon's like screeching, yeah. <laughs> alternating between Hi, screeching Daphne. and 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 he's just so funny. Like it, it's great. Um, it's a great sort of partnership as well between Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon in this movie because they kind of go back and forth. One's pushing the idea of going in drag than the other. One's more into it than the other. Um, and they have that kind of back and forth in their relationship. Um, there's a bit of a power struggle and, you know, a, a, a threesome. A not love three, triangle. Love triangle. With, um, <laughs> that is a different kind of movie. I think this was made during the production code era. There's a love triangle <laughs> with um, with – Marilyn Monroe's character is called Sugar Cane. She changed it. it used to be Sugar Kowalczyk. Um, and what her, her whole, she has some of my favorite lines in the movie. My father was a conductor. Where did he conduct? On the Baltimore, Ohio. <laughs> Things like that that just every time make yeah, me laugh so Yeah, every single time. Hard. The water polo one gets me every time too. Oh, water polo, isn't that awfully dangerous? Yeah, I lost two ponies from under me. All of those sorts of things are just so funny. And the, one of the great things about the humour in this movie is that there's actually this balance of slapstick and really great um, verbal humour, like really funny writing, really clever quips, which is not something you see a whole lot of the time anymore. It's mm-hmm. It almost seems to be it can either be funny with words or it can be funny with actions. Yeah, well, and this is actually one of these great farces, especially that third act. Oh, That's the third an amazing act. farce. But the whole thing is is farcical the whole way along. T- Tony Curtis playing his fake millionaire and mm. Jack Lemon and his actual millionaire boyfriend and <laughs> her. Oh, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Tony Curtis is um he decides to woo Sugar by pretending to be a millionaire um Shell Oil and he puts on this Cary Grant voice which he also carries off really well and that Cary Grant reportedly went to see the movie and heard the voice and he went I don't talk like that which <laughs> I, I didn't know is, that that's great um one of right. the best one of the best anecdotes about the movie. Um, mm. But, yeah, he does this Cary Grant sort of impression. It puts on glasses, so, of course, she doesn't recognize him in the true Superman tradition. <laughs> um, and um, so now he's playing both her new best – Sugar's new best friend, Josephine, and this millionaire. And then uh, you've got Jerry, who starts out um, as Daphne, as sort of a distraction for Joe and, and a – alibi so that he can get the the actual millionaire the older millionaire off the yacht so right joe can take 
Sugar onto the yacht and ends up just completely involved. Like he, the scene where he and his millionaire get engaged is the funniest scene in the movie. Like he's yeah. just so completely out there and he's so completely committed to this movie that he's it's so, brilliant. He, re- he really is. I actually did. Um, I I feel like this is admitting to cheating on the podcast, but I did some reading before I sat down to record this at some of the major reviews and there a lot of what they talk about is how Jack Lemon is just completely committed to this character but it's also um unlike a lot of gender swap movies where by the end you've got to have the status quo reinforced the heteronormative uh, status quo back in place everyone stays in the gender they're in you get the idea in this one that um Jerry becomes Daphne and he mm. likes her better and he wants to stay that way yeah, there's this brilliant, brilliant sort of um, turnaround. Um, in the beginning, he's on the train and he's just like drooling over all these women. And he has to remind himself, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. And then I wish it, I were dead. later on the, in the movie, he <laughs> he gets the engagement scene and, and, and Joe says to him, um, just keep reminding yourself you're a boy. And so he's lying down the bed. I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy. I wish I were dead. I'm a boy, I'm a boy, which mm-hmm. is great. And there's like other jokes that run through the movie, like their blood type. Yeah, typo, whatever Which that's is, about. It, it, it's not funny when it first happens, but because it repeats itself so often yeah. by the last time, you're just like, what? <laughs> it's brilliant. And then that last act, which is a pure like chase scene that changes tacks halfway through, and it is the funniest chase scene just ever. Yeah, it's hilarious. And I feel, I mean, I love this movie. It's it's in my top five. I don't, I don't like to, you know, rank my favorite movies, but this is definitely top five for me. And I'm not normally one who goes for fast, but this is so clever and it's so funny to listen to. And that chase scene at the end is so hilarious. You just can't but giggle. And it's actually quite a long movie. It's a full 120-minute running time, which is actually long for that era. You you don't get a lot, lot over 90 minutes in that age. But you don't even notice. It just skips by and you're like, I wish there was more. Why isn't there more? I had no idea it was 120-minute no running idea. time. I did not either until I – yeah, again, I read one of the reviews today and it was – I read the review from 1959 from the New York Times when it first came out, and that film critic was like, "Oh, it's it's over long." Was one of his problems with it, and for, in this day and age, 120 minutes, but you, it, it skips by. You don't even notice that it's 120. Mm. It also has one of my favorite closing lines of any movie ever. I think it's I think one of the best there, closing lines of any movie ever. Up there with, for me, The Lost Boys. I don't even know if you've seen The I Lost Boys. I haven't seen The Lost Boys. Maybe we can do that in a future podcast. Um, but The Lost Boys is another one with a brilliant closing line. And But this one just takes the cake. It is so funny and sort of out of left field, um, especially for the time. I know that that was one of the things that the studios wanted Billy Wilder to change, and he absolutely refused. And he was, of course, mm-hmm. right, because he has this flawless sense of, you know, comedy yep. and timing. But it was really, really great. Yeah. Um. And the other, one of the other things that's so terrific about this movie is the music by Adolf Deutsch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I looked that up before I came just specifically so I could talk about it. Um, oh, okay. Because I noticed it a little bit more. You know how you notice different things every right. time you watch a movie? And I've always loved the music in this. Like, I know exactly what it is the second I hear it. Um, it is very much fitting in with that jazz age when it was made. But there's also something else that I noticed that, like, each character – not just each character, but each sub-character. So each character that the characters are playing yeah. has their own theme music. I didn't notice that. And it changes, like, with the music movie. So there's this, um, there's this scene where, da- uh, sorry, where Sugar meets her millionaire, who mm-hmm. I will refer to as Shell Oil because he doesn't have a name. And, uh, she meets Shell Oil 
and the the women in the band are all singing um the song by the sea yep um and that becomes that becomes edited into his theme Aww. so every time you see him you hear that music and so you hear that music with the Daphne music and then it changes to the Jerry music when he's talking to Jerry and it, then you hear it with the Sugar music when you see Sugar and so and her theme is one of the earlier songs that you hear her singing and so like they use the music stings very cleverly to keep it clear who's talking to who at which time oh. which I hadn't really noticed the first time first and, and I, I hadn't noticed it either but it's brilliant yeah. the music is terrific and then that chasing mm. music is like famously so just fantastic funny. yeah I Actually, that you've reminded me though of something. We watched it um, the first one with the Skippy DVD, and we watched it here at home um, from a which was we actually it's actually saved on my hard drive, but it's ripped from the DVD that I own. And I, this film is absolutely crying out for a restoration. Mm. Um, it, I would absolutely love if some wilder freak who with a little bit of extra money would come along and go back to the negatives and clean up the print, clean up the sound, put a proper. 5.1 surround sound in it would be magnificent if they did yeah, that because there's so many great things about that and about the music yeah. as i've just mentioned well, yeah would be- i don't even notice and i'm on my third or fourth viewing now I, I think but then it had been a few years and i'm a I, i'm a listener so I'm, my my communication mode is like verbal or whatever so i'm listening for words mm. where so i wasn't really listening to music that's something you pick up though because you talked about that last week with star trek as well but i noticed it in that I think it was that course that I did at university on on music and film. That you sort were of music and film. Ah, oh, see, I never did that one. I was off studying history and film. It's an ear opener. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, I'm gonna I, maybe I should put that that somewhere like in the advertisement for the podcast just to get my husband to listen. It's an ear opener. It's an ear. That's his kind of joke. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting when you listen for different things though, because, yeah. and, and when you look for different things as well, like it's a really actually well shot movie. Um, the costuming is really interesting. Yeah. Marilyn particularly, or the whole thing? Well, the whole you thing as is- discussed, Tony Curtis is beautifully costumed. Mm. Even the, uh, every time I see him wrap himself up in his overcoat at the start, I think, gee, that's a lovely overcoat. I really <laughs> like one like that. He's very, he's kind of camp and in you know, anyway, so he sort of suits being a woman. He's kind of, as a, as a man, he's quite lanky and camp and sort of refined anyway, at least mm. in this character, whereas, you know, Jack Lemmon is Jack Lemmon. But then he turns out to be the better woman. But it's not just that. It's also, like, it, it's it's um, funny in the way that um, mm. that, the way that their physicality comes through once they're in drag yeah, um, because great. Jack Lemmon is just so hilarious in drag right. and so out there and so crazy. And it's sort of like you just want to be friends with Daphne. Yeah, Daphne he, is so much more fun than Jerry. Right, and I think he thinks that. it's You sort of see him make that decision as he gets onto the train he, and he makes it on the spur of the moment. He, it's like he doesn't even know he's going to call himself Daphne. They, they were going to be called Josephine and Geraldine because Joe and Jerry. But, you know, Joe is happy to be Josephine and he just – is uptight, just an uptight, slightly higher speaking version of himself. But yeah, you get the idea that uh, Jerry's like, you know, I'm, I'm ch- hi, I'm Daphne. Like he just, it takes him by surprise. He just becomes this other person and he decides that she's this outgoing, fun to be around gal pal. And I think when it's interesting contradic- uh, contrasting Jerry with Daphne, because Jerry is very uptight. Mm-hmm. Jerry is the one who's always worrying about everything. And Daphne yeah. just 
throws all that away. Um, she is yeah. like fun and outgoing and crazy and she's having fun with all these girls who also, by the way, are fantastic. I love Dolores. Um, yeah. Dolores has these really funny lines too she about does. a one-legged jockey and she's very sort of yeah. uh, also very of that era. Mm-hmm. Like those kind of um, wild girls of like the 20s and the flappers yeah, yeah, and that sort flappers. of thing. That's what Dolores is. Yeah, and of course Marilyn is the anti-flapper. You, she, she, you can't – when you have a body like Marilyn's, you can't dress in flapper gear. Just dumb work. So she's she's dressed um, by an Australian designer, Ori Kelly, very famously, and some of her gowns are just bordering on pornographic. There's one particular silver yeah. gown that, like, from sort of the waist up doesn't really look like a dress. Yeah, there's – um. It's basically all Marilyn boob all the time. And if it's not all Marilyn boob, it's all Marilyn butt. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if you're um, a lady with some curves and you ever feel like, you know, actresses don't represent you on screen, watch Marilyn in this and watch a jiggle and you'll feel a whole lot better about yourself. She's just fantastic. And, but that's not the reason to watch it because she's just great. But, yeah, she's she's costumed very differently. She's not costumed as, as a 1920s girl. She's costumed just, oh, I guess she's a little but. Her evening gowns, but mm. uh, the style exactly. is sort of and and the funny thing mm. is that it's all these things that you probably wouldn't have gotten away with in 1959 as well, like because mm. the 20s were a lot more open yeah. than the 50s, and right. it was made during the production code. And to be honest, I'm surprised they got away with some of the stuff because this is a very sort of sexual movie. Mm. And um, I was, I think I was reading like a review from 2009 from an academic, and I, that that's exactly what she said. She said some of these jokes are still risque. Mm. And, and it's still it still is quite risque to play around with accepted gender roles. I, I mean, you know, there's doesn't happen all that often, but every so often there's a movie comes along with it, that kind of stuff. And I've, I'm yet to see one that's done it better than Some Like It Hot. I know, and it's funny because it's just so light a touch in mm. this movie. You know, it's, it's really- like he he's Joe's saying all the right things for the time, but basically the movie is just subverting them. Right, absolutely, and you, yeah, and and. You can read, you can take a really feminist critique of this movie and look at, look at all the really feminist stuff about, uh, these guys suddenly learning what it's like to be harassed in the street, have your ass grabbed mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, and it just, it just, it does it with a really light touch. Like a man watching that might go, oh yeah, maybe grabbing a girl's ass isn't the right idea. Oh, what's his name? I can't remember the name of the character. Um, the uh, band manager? No, no, that's Beanstalk. Beanstalk. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of Jerry's fiance. Oh, because I know we hear it a yeah, bunch of times. Yeah, we we and, do. Um, and all I can think of is his name right now is Zowie, because that's his catchphrase. Um, oh. But yeah, he's and then um, mm. there's a lot of like all the supporting roles are really great. Um, yeah. Sweet Sue, who is Sweet the Sue manager is so of funny. the band, yeah. Sweet Sue and her society syncopators. Yeah, but she's so like such a tough lady, and she's got this ulcer that tells her what's happening, yeah. and she's <laughs> very funny as well. So all the like and and even the mobsters are all really funny They're and really hilarious. like especially there's one who's uh the the main mobster is yep. called Spats Colombo. Spats, yeah. Um another brilliant sort of costuming defining choice. Yeah. Um but <laughs> Spats Colombo has this one henchman who has all these great lines as well and delivers them just in this really deadpan way, but he's very funny too. Mm. And it also pays tribute to the actual mob movies of the twenties by having the famous mob actor Edward G. Robinson's son mm. play one of the mobsters, right. which I thought was Correct. really cute when I found out. Yeah. Oh d- yeah, didn't you know that's really sweet. No, I didn't. Yeah. Um and I know 
that Jerry's fiance is called George. The actor is called George Raft, but I cannot remember the no, name no, of the Brown. character. His name is Brown. Oh, is it? The Who's George name? Raft then? George Raft is the um. He's one of the mobsters. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oops. That that's okay. Oh, no, I feel dumb. No, no, that's okay. I, well, I'm the one who's sitting here. Like, is he Joe E. Brown then? Joe E. Brown. Yeah. That's one of the other that's actors the, on it. Well, that, he's he's the actor. But um, here, here I am frantically IMDBing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all, he, um, he puts in a very – professionalism here. He puts in a very, very funny performance as fantastic. well. And he gets the, obviously the best line. Yeah, Spats Colombo is George Raft. Oh, there you go. Um, and uh, the fiancé is Osgood Fielding III, That's played by right. Joe E. Brown. Osgood. Mm-hmm. I could not remember that to save myself. Kept calling him George in my head. George. Which is not only the wrong character, but the wrong actor. <laughs> um, George. Indeed. I do feel if there's any complaint that I have with this movie, it's that there's this one moment in the in the chase scene that I think is supposed to give you a break from the chase scene mm. that is a little too long and a little boring. Um, the speech from the other mobster, like the head oh, mobster the, the guy. Head of the Italian Opera Lovers Society. Where he is hard of hearing and I don't know whether there's supposed to be like a joke in that or something, but he has a mm. whole long speech in a long scene about the mob that you're really not interested in. No, I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can see that. I feel kind of like um, that. Basically, all of my favorite movies have something like this, where there's just this one moment that I'm like, "Can we just get through it already, so that I can <laughs> get to the actual movie?" Yeah. Um, Singing in the rain as well has this extended ballet sequence that does not fit in the movie oh, and just yeah. takes you out of it every time. And it's a great, great ballet. It's beautiful, and it's with not even with the star of the movie. I've never mm. understood why that was, apart from yep. Gene Kelly's ego, who I love. Gene Kelly, by the way. I've worshipped him since I was three, but he did have a really big ego. Um, Sorry to Tony that, Curtis. Yeah, that uh, that I never understood where that was there. And I kind of feel like that with this one as well. Like, yeah. I just don't understand why you would spend that much time on something that in the middle of this really exciting chase scene that's the, the climax of the movie, yeah. and then you take us out of it like that and then throw us back into it again. Mm. The turnaround is really great because it sets up for the final piece. Yeah. But I felt like they could have maybe done that a bit quicker and with less of that, like – break in the momentum okay yeah i I, it never really bothers me i quite i I kind of appreciate the little bit of suspense there i guess we're building up to the uh yeah the shootout we know is coming i think there are other ways to do suspense i mean really Mm -hmm. you could do it quietly and still because it felt like it was supposed to be funny and isn't yeah it does it does it goes on whereas all the other jokes in the movie really hit yeah and that's um that's one of those crazy things about this movie this is 1959 this is 54 years ago and all the jokes hold up so well. You get that, like you said before, highbrow humor, funny little word plays and slapstick and it's still, I still laugh at it every time. Yeah, I, I sometimes think it's actually a mix of like um, fast but also an homage not only to mom movies but also to the um, Cary Grant style, what's it, His Girl Friday type movies. Mm, like um, screwball. Screwball comedies, yeah, right. Yeah, of course. So it's like, the, it's like a mix of those things. Right. The the, the Daphne Osgood relationship is pure screwball. Yes, it is. Well, but yeah. the And the quick wordplay, yeah. um, especially between Joe and Jerry, or a particularly yep. funny um, send-up of that is when they're talking to Sugar, who doesn't understand most of the quick wordplay, most of her humour comes from misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, Although she, she... Blind deliveries. Yeah. Uh, but she's the actress is good enough that she's able to do that she's mm. able to keep up with those lines and, and deliver those lines because she's just wonderful yeah and, and she really funny. does even though she's had like whatever 58 takes or whatever she had on some of them she looks like she's delivering it for the first time she doesn't look like 
and the other actors playing off her also look like they're delivering it for the first time and it's wonderful yeah i sometimes wonder if maybe the difficulties they were having kind of kept them on their toes which made them do give even better performances because Mm. they just didn't know what was going to happen next you know they didn't know if they were going to get to the end of their scene or they didn't know what was going to come up absolutely and i think even the scenes between the scenes with um with sugar in them tend to be have more spark and be more interesting and i wonder if that may be one of the reasons yeah. why she has wonderful wonderful screen presence and charisma it's you can see why she they put up with the and and why she's as famous as she is and she's so pretty she's just gorgeous and but she s- seems to be a gorgeous person mm. this character is just lovely like she's a bit troubled and she's from a working class background or whatever and but she's just she just seems like a really sweet person with a great heart. Well, yeah, you wonder if maybe in in different hands it could have been a different story. Like you may not mm. have a, have um um you, she may not have as much appeal. You may not connect with her as well. Mm. But in Marilyn's hands, she is very likable, and mm. and and you feel for her when she's upset. You you really sort of sink into that. Um, and she had that ability. Um, in every movie that I've seen her in, she's just sort of this magnetic presence even if it's one of her really terrible movies of which there are a few <laughs> mm. um she's always just very magnetic and very lovely and and yeah. that was and it's funny because people talk about her as I, I think now she's mostly a tragic sex symbol mm. like yeah. that's how we see Marilyn now and we don't tend to acknowledge that side of her that like she had the, her appeal was the combination of the sex symbol and the girl next door absolutely the girl that you knew and liked and all that sort of thing. That's what she brought to the table. And there hasn't been anybody since her who can match her in that. Absolutely not. Um, I just wanted to have one final word about the uh, most important romance of the whole movie, and <laughs> that's Jerry and Joe. <laughs> Yeah, it it's it's one of those relationships where they just they they are constantly in each other's back pockets. Yeah, uh, it's, they, it's the the classic what would be nowadays termed a bromance. Yeah, it is, but it's also like they they are just you don't see a lot of things uh, relationships like that now where they literally were living in each other's back pockets. No. Like they lived together, they worked together, they did everything together, and so they fought like more like brothers. They fought yeah, like, like brothers, brothers, and they were got mad at each other and they made it up to each other without actually saying anything remotely mushy in the entire movie. They're great. They're yeah, they're nineteen fifties men. Yeah, exactly. That's so right. they, they just sort of get on with it. But you know, mm. it's 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 a very funny, very um well performed relationship. Yeah. Anyway, the whole thing is absolutely gorgeous. And if you haven't seen it, really, that's well, you know, I think that's a mistake. I think you need to go back and see this one. <laughs> Yeah, I think if you haven't seen it already and you're listening to this, go see it and try to forget most of the lines that we've been quoting and forget the things that we've been telling well, you. Well, we, we didn't and quote put, the most important lines, so that's good. That's true. Put uh, Marilyn Monroe's Troubles out of your mind. Put uh, Joe um, – his name is not Joe, Joe Lucas. Joe Lucas? Yeah, I don't know. what Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis. Put Tony, Joe Lucas? I don't know Get where that, that came from. That's okay. Um, put Tony Curtis's quotes out of your mind. Uh, put all the other things that I have since learned about my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies out of your mind and one of Melissa's favorite movies out of your mind and just watch it as a movie. Even if you remember those things, I think it can still just carry you away. And uh, when you sit down to watch it, don't forget that the beginning is not quite what the rest of the movie is like. Absolutely. Look, I think it's a 54-year-old movie, so you probably find it on Netflix torrented if you must 
get the DVD. I'm sure you can get get your hands on a copy without too much problem. Now, uh, it seems almost uh, moot to go for ratings, but for me, it's a five out of five. Yeah, like we would ever rate it anything else, five out of five. Mm-hmm. So that's Silver Screen Queens for this week. Um, Katie, were you planning on uh, writing this one up on your blog? I was not planning on writing it up on my blog, but I might now. Okay, so maybe one of us will review it in writing. But uh, anyway, for m- more information about the podcast, you can read the show notes or get our Twitter addresses, get our emails Find, find our Facebook page. Go to our website, silverscreenqueens.com. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Thanks so, for listening. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.